We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. All right. Hello and welcome. Are we we on? Oh, we're on. Hi. I was just looking for the little red dot in the corner. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Hello. We're on on the air. Welcome. You're on the air with Kim and Stephanie and Suzanne. Go ahead. Call her. (laughs) Uh, We're taking requests. (laughs) Um, So how is everybody? Tired. I had some fun yesterday. You had some what? He's been at a birth. I was at a birth this week too. And Suzanne, don't you have someone in labor now? Yes, I do. Um, My client who doesn't know how to use the contraction contraction app. Still working on that? I gave detailed instructions as to how to press start. And then is she alone or does she have a partner? She has a partner and a mom and me. So she's well supported. Um, anyways, things kind of slowed down a little bit overnight. So here we are again today on belly watch. And I'm like, actually, let's not be on belly watch. Just go live your life. Yeah. Okay? Just yeah. go live your life. Forget what you're feeling down there, unless it's intense enough that you can't, you can't not pay attention to it. But I don't know, you know how it goes. Do people listen to us? They pay us lots of money to just have me flap my gums at them. Yep. That's what they hear. Yep. Remember, remember the entire conversation we had twice about, you know, not laying on your back when you get the epidural. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Oh, I now your baby's remember. in an OP position. Shucks. Remember when you came to my class and we talked about ignoring early labor yep. and then during our meeting and then like twice during early labor, you're told to ignore early labor. Oh my God. Labor hates an audience. I feel like I'm like the mother of, you know, a house full of kids. And you're like, why do I have to say things 10 times before anything gets done? Why does nobody listen to me unless I yell? Like, what is wrong with you people? It feels exactly the same. It's the same No, And then you, you, then you have to remind yourself they're an adult. They're an adult. They've managed to get to this point in their life without your help. Without me. So, yeah. They're going to have to take some responsibility for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, yes, yeah. Stephanie was out and about yesterday doing oh, stuff. Yeah. Seven degrees of uh, Suzanne yesterday. Yeah, going that, was up, that was wild. Going up to uh, so my my Beats headphones had become completely unstable. So I called up Beats. Who knew that Apple bought Beats? I didn't. So they sent me there to Dr. bring them know what the hell is that what exactly um but uh yeah I, I went up there some lovely young man well, not so young man but because uh, everyone else seemed very very young but a lovely man came and grabbed me <laughs> and said let's go get this fixed up and was being so very helpful and while he was being helpful and trying to find the best way to get my my thing covered the the fix up covered I was chatting here with you two over our chat group and 
then he got to see my my doula handle, Steph at TorontoDoulaGroup.com. Says, oh, my cousin, my cousin's a doula. I'm like, get out of town. And he just let it sit there. I'm like, well, you got to tell me her name. And he's like, Suzanne. I'm like, okay, Suzanne Lim. He's like, this Suzanne Lim that I'm talking to right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and of course I had to turn my phone around. I'm like, that's like exactly who I'm talking to on the phone right now. That's kind of weird. That's craziness. And you drove from Mississauga, which is far for our people who don't know our geography. That's far for, from your house to the mall that you actually went to is a long haul. And there yeah. are many malls along the way. Many malls along the way. Yeah. But that's the one they sent me to. Yeah, that's our, our Donald, my cousin's son, Donald. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, Donald's not a little kid. He has a family of, he's like three big kids of his own. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's amazing. And he like should own Apple by now. We're going to start a petition because friggin' he's, he's, a, he's a good Apple representative. Yeah. yeah well, he, he went, like, we were there for a while and he kept saying, I apologize for taking so long. I'm like, don't, don't worry about it, man. You do your thing in order to, you know, figure out how I can best get this fixed with. And he did. He spent some time trying to figure out the best way for me to get my, the fix up or the replacement covered for me. So I'm all about that. And then of course I left there and was driving down a street in Scarborough and happened to pass a street called Port Royal, which just happens to be where Suzanne is from. Port Royal. Yeah. yeah. Then I was on my way to our uh, community I, who knew that we also loved going to the same place for patties and Jamaican food, Fami Bakery. Because <laughs> we used to live right down the street from there. Yeah. Like literally down the street. And my friends, my father used to be friends with the former owners. And then later on that yesterday evening, somebody messaged me to say, hey, Suzanne, are you still doing doula work? If somebody might be interested in your services. And then I was a little bit, conf- I looked at the name and I was like, who's this? Oh, it just happened to be Donald's wife's sister-in-law. So the same Donald that you, so either Donald went home, Donald must have gone home and said, oh my God, listen to this wild coincidence that happened today with at work. And then his wife maybe mentioned it to her sister-in-law who then called me because she has somebody who might need a doula or it's another just wild, weird coincidence that, that I just heard from that person who is very much connected to Donald. That's pretty strange. I mean, we're going to talk about the woo one day and this is our woo. (laughs) That was some woo. Yeah, that was some woo. Yes. Uh-huh. So yeah, so that's, that was cool. That was cool yesterday. And um, I'm feeling a little bit heavy hearted today because Chris left this morning. And um, I mean, it's, it's he's going to be better off in the Philippines with his wife, where it's warm and sunny and he doesn't have to work upside down hours. He teaches students in China. So he has to start teaching at eight o'clock in the morning and he doesn't finish till like four a.m. and it's completely messed his body up so now he doesn't have to do that once he arrives in the Philippines he will have to quarantine for three nights but they're gonna put him in a hotel he gets to choose a hotel and they pay for like all his food and whatever we're not doing that I heard no nope. no we have to pay for it here 
um, yeah. when you fly in. And, but in Australia, I believe you, they paid for it and they paid to have your food brought in. I think they do that in South Korea as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So anyways, we we'll meet Chris. Yeah. Ah. What's been going on with your week, Miss Ms. Fernandez? Not much. <laughs> Same Went to a birth. Same shit, different. I didn't go to a birth. It was all virtual. Oh. Um to a birth. And I taught last night, and of course they texted while I was teaching or they messaged while I was teaching. I'm like, okay, just hold on a second. I told you I was out of birth. I just got out. <laughs> this is virtual support. Uh-huh. So yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Babies and labor do not wait. No. Not like you say, can you just hold that labor till I'm done teaching? No, no. you're starting to push, but I just gotta finish this class. So yeah, yeah just, just hang on. Just um, wait. So so let me ask you guys this. We've all done virtual birth support, right? Yeah. Everybody's mm-hmm. done at least one. And you know that feeling of satisfaction you have when you leave a birth, that that feeling of oh, hard work, well done. Uh, you supported this family really, really well as you're leaving the hospital. I know that you can't really get that depth of satisfied feeling doing virtual support. Is that, do we agree on that? Or do you feel, Yeah, I feel satisfied and fulfilled, but it's not that like that body weary feeling of support. Like you put in some Mm-hmm. hardcore support. So how much of that satisfaction are you getting from your virtual support? Like in percentage wise, how much of that deep satisfaction are you getting? Would you say with virtual support? So, so I think for me, it's a matter at this point, because I've been a doula for so long, I, I would say I'm not getting the way I felt it, you know, 10 years ago, the way I felt it five years ago, I'm getting like 0% of that now. However, I think I'm also at a point that in this whole situation where I'm okay with not getting it, like, I'm okay with not having that as, you know, a reward, or benefit of the job that I do. I know that when you know, first got into this was like, oh my God, you know, this is better. You know, I could do this for free because it's so amazing and I love it. And seeing babies born and all of this, it was so great. Um, But now it's like, I think because I'm looking at it now from virtually from more of a teaching and education standpoint than actually being invested in the birth itself, because I'm no longer invested in the outcome, even though I, I mean, I am technically because I want them to have the birth that they want. I'm probably getting 0% of sort of what I felt, you know, five years ago, but I'm okay with it. I'm, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. I actually enjoy doing it this way because I don't have that roller coaster of emotion I don't have that you know if it didn't go the right way or the way that they wanted it to I don't have to feel you know terrible or anything about it um so I mean in answer to your question zero percent wow my my sense of fulfillment is not to be 
like it's it's not about investment for me. I'm not invested. I'm invested in so much as like you said, I want my clients to get have the birth experience they want. But I am I am not emotionally invested or tied to their birth outcome. But what I mean is that sense of satisfaction that I did a job well done, that I really I helped this family through whatever it is that they went through and whatever outcome, even if it wasn't a good outcome and I could be sad and sorry for my clients, but I still feel like I did a good job. That's that's kind of what I'm talking about. My personal feeling that I gave gave as much as I could to them. And, and I would say that I'm, I'm getting about 57% of what I used to get. I wanted to say 60, but it's 60 felt like kind of a lot. So yeah, about 57% of the satisfaction. Yeah. And also it's different with, I've done three virtual birth supports and one of them I felt maybe more like closer to 70%, but this last one, I feel it was about 57. Yeah. So I don't know. How about you, Steph? Um, I'd say it fluctuates from, so I've had, everybody has been happy with their birth experience thus far. Yeah. In virtual, everyone's been happy with their outcome. They've had questions afterwards that they, they've come back and said, because they were in the rapture of, of labor and stuff and didn't, it didn't think to them or to their partner to reach out and ask a question um, at the time. But they asked if they could have done this or if they could have done that. Um, and of course, always the answer is, yes, you could have, but in the moment you weren't thinking of it. So was it really, this is really retrospect. And did you feel, we'll go over, did you feel harmed by the fact that that wasn't offered to you? Or was it because someone else told you that they did it that way? And so you're wondering if you could have done it that way. Um, I find that after we have the post-birth conversations, mm -hmm. I'm closer to like a 60 to 70%. But right after the birth, before we've kind of chatted up about how they're feeling, how breastfeeding is going. I will say a big indicator of why it is so low, like it's well under 80% or whatever, is because I feel my heart hurts for everyone who is choosing, every one of my clients who is choosing to breastfeed. And every single one of them I've gotten home, they've gotten home and I've come to see them for their postpartum follow-up breastfeeding support visit. And every single one of them was given shit information, told them they actually don't, shouldn't, they don't need to have skin to skin with their baby right afterwards. Um, they can wait till they get to postpartum. And I understand this is because of staffing. A part of this is because of who you choose for staff, first of all, second of all, because once you, the staff are in there doing so much with so many fucking layers, you know, they, they are not being their best selves. They're not able to do all the things I'm sure they want to do either. But to be told that breastfeeding can wait till you get to postpartum. So just keep your baby swaddled. Um, and just by the time they get home, everyone has like cracked nipples or we're told to block feed or like my last client was told to feed the baby 30 minutes on one side and 30 minutes on the other. Um, feed every two and hours. Yet I'm, and yet my clients are being told of the feeding. 10 minutes, 10 minutes and that's it. That's a common one. There's too. nothing, there's nothing there anyways. And they're yeah. being told this by fucking IBCLCs. 
And then there was that post in Facebook yesterday from an IBCLC. Actually, her the thing was NCS, so newborn care specialist, I'm assuming, basically telling doulas um, and doctors, doulas and nurses to, you know, like what I said to the OB, you know, stay in your lane and stop giving shit information. Well, yeah. you know what? Fuck you right back because IBCLCs are giving not all of them clearly it goes both ways i'm dealing with an issue in hospitals where i have literally 10 people after asking one question all of them saying my breasts were manhandled without my without my choice without being asked first i was told it was supposed to hurt and that i just had to tough it out because nipples are sensitive instead of fixing a fucking latch and that handing out nipple shields and formula like it's goddamn candy. So you know what? Fuck that noise. If I can help and I can make that situation better for my client, then I'm fucking well gonna. I am, that pissed me off. Because everyone seems to be going home. That, that's where the a, a fall down of all this COVID stuff is happening, that I'm not there to kind of reinforce the comfortable first feed like that I feel like even just being there with them for their first for their first feed for showing them a good relaxed position to nurse in um where it doesn't have to feel overwhelming Mm -hmm. um I feel like that man it detracts it really detracts 100 at the I I see most of my clients on day three when they get home back up my PE get my shit on um, and yeah, and by the time I see them, there's just, and I understand too, new parents often information that's being given to them. Sometimes it's mixed up. It's lost in translation. Cause you know, you just possibly had surgery or, or pushed a baby out your body, you know, like there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So I understand that there's like half information sometimes that you've kept and some pieces you've let go. 100%. But, um, yep. yeah, it's. But lactation and, and feeding at the chest is not prioritized in hospitals. No. And that was before COVID as well. But right 100%. now, everyone, if you go on any parent group, like Toronto parent, like I belong to Etobicoke moms, everyone is saying the same thing. Everyone is saying, make sure you have lactation support for when you get home. Um, don't rely on them at the hospital right now. They've cut back their LCs or they're only using it for people who've had cesareans or preemies right now. The LCs are being pushed to those departments because they can't have group settings right now. Mm -hmm. So you basically have to be having a huge problem to actually get LC support. Um, And a client that came home the other day, one was told um, skin to skin. So she did skin to skin while feeding. Another nurse came in and said, no, no, your baby's going to be cold. You have to keep them dressed when you're nursing them. And the older, you know, uh, same thing, 10 minutes on each breast and then they're done. Don't give them any more than that. And the other one said, no, 20, 25 to 35 minutes per breast. It's like, so no one actually showed you how to eat though. How how to eat your baby. The problem is also, is that like, say they're saying, you know, 10 minutes on each side and that's it. Okay. But there's no like, and then when your milk comes in, you'll want to do, you know, longer and, and wait till, but 10 minutes and that's it. And then they're stopping. 
because the yes. doctor said, the nurse said 10 minutes. It's like, and the baby's screaming. And if you have it, or if you leave them on and you have a baby who's nursing for 20, 30 minutes, you feel that that's abnormal because you yeah. were told that you should feed for 10 minutes. And that's the issue. My last client left the hospital, never having latched the baby at all. Never. I had to baby, literally be the baby tested. had never latched. Um, until I came and the baby latched and I showed them, this is what drinking and sucking and swallowing look like. And they were like, oh my God, what kind of magic did you do? And I said, no, this, you, you just needed help to latch him on. Yeah. And he did. And you have, cause she was convinced that the baby was not latching because she didn't have anything in the breast. As if the baby's supposed to psychically know that there's nothing there and refuse it before it can on there. And I said, do you see the baby is drinking? That means that the baby, there's something in there that the baby's actually swallowing. And they were like, wow. And I said, you, this should have happened in the hospital. Yeah. This should have happened because there was nothing wrong. There was no reason why no. the latch couldn't have happened. She did not latch one time. The baby had already gotten... So, so baby's blood sugar was low. So baby did get formula. And then they said, oh, we'd like to see if we can express some colostrum to give the baby. So this nurse manhandled these nipples so aggressively that this woman came home uh, from the hospital with her nipples so sore oh. and already so damaged and the baby had never latched yet. How is that possible? How is it possible that your baby has never latched, but your nipples are all mashed up? So we had to go through all of that. It was, it was like infuriating, like inside I was fuming. Yeah. Why? And this, and what's, what, what is also infuriating and a question mark to me is she was, so twice, one of my clients was at Michael Guerin, where you were, that's a baby friendly hospital, right? hundred percent. And then another one was at Sunnybrook where mm, I think that they're okay at yeah. Sunnybrook because of breastfeeding. But now I'm like, my brain's going, everything <laughs> that I used to know is all upside down now. So I have nothing to say about any hospital in terms of breastfeeding anymore because I'm seeing too much fuck ups. And the thing is, like, I want to be clear. I get that. 90% of this is because of staffing. And I get it's because, you know, of trying to limit, you know, exposure and things like that. I get it. But my God, we are a smart people. Can we not figure out a way to make this better for birthing parents? Because so many times, it breaks my heart every time I hear a birthing parent say, you know, when we're in the we're in the, the birth planning segment of our, of our work together. And I say, and what are your plans for feeding baby? And they go, well, I'm going to try to breastfeed. And it's like, Ugh. do you try to get you, married? You already know, you <laughs> already have this feeling that it's going to fail. You already have this in you that it's going to fail. And when you get to that hospital and you get into that after that baby's born, and then you get into postpartum, You've already thinking it's going to fail. And now it's being set up for you to actually fail. Being confirmed. <laughs> being exactly. Confirmed. Um, so I have a question. Like, 
how is this? So what we see happening right now, my opinion is that I saw this happening before COVID. How is COVID affecting staffing on the postpartum unit? I don't know. Like, do they have fewer people? I, I can't no, see why they would. And even if they did, each patient would have at least a, one nurse. Yeah. You, you always, you're not there. Oh, we're short staffed. So you've got to fend for yourself. No, there's no. always at least one nurse. And if an LC was on staff before, whatever the stupid, ridiculous hours they had before, why would they let the LC go? Because breastfeeding is not important. It's not valued. Mm-hmm. And they're so short-sighted that they're only going to see, oh, let's have as few people on staff for now for this immediate problem, not realizing that the fewer babies feed down the road, the more impact it will be on the health, the pediatric healthcare system. I wonder, I wonder if it's because, because I had somebody say in that survey that, that I did that the hospital we work at no longer is employing LCs. And I wonder if it's because it's one LC on a shift and they're going from person to person to person. And that can, in theory, increase the potential. Whereas if you have a nurse, that's your nurse and they're not going to anybody else. Fair enough, that makes sense to me. They are. My client had four different nurses in the 12 hours I was there. Oh shit. Yes. So- In labor and and delivery or postpartum? Labor and delivery, four nurses in the 12 hours that I was there with her. Right. And then, so yeah, there's the four nurses and then uh, two different students um, and then the staff. And who else did we have? Um, Well, there'll be an an anesthetist and there'll be um, a resident and the attending OB and maybe the person who brings the food in. And then there's the housekeeping people sometimes come in. There's a round of people who, so what Kim said makes sense in theory. Yeah, but then when you the number of people, you know, getting near the clients, but why are you choosing the LCs to do that? Why not be stricter about the nurses and their uh, dinner breaks and so on? Mm-hmm. That you know what I'm saying? Like to, I don't know, I don't know, but I, don't know. I, I, so many things have happened during this entire pandemic where it's clear that people are not thinking thinking their idea, hey, how about we do this to keep people safe? I, I believe that their motivation is to keep people safe. Hey, here's an idea to keep people safe. Okay, good idea. Let's walk through it. Let's, mm-hmm. look, at the, let's look at the scenario in schools and hospitals and wherever, and let's walk through it to see. How, and then eventually you hit on something, oh, see, no, it's, it doesn't make sense at this point. So that idea goes in the garbage, but that's not what they're doing. They're just like- no. It's like Band-Aids. They're just like- yeah. 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 So, so getting rid of LCs is, is a bad idea. And if they're, if to, though, to let's be real, admittedly at our hospital, that's probably well, yeah, a bad true. thing. True. The, the thing is what they need let's to do get is, new ones. is train the postpartum nurses, have better who are already, um, have some kind of special lactation support course in nursing school, or like you have to have taken Dr. Newman's, the in fact, 20 hour breastfeeding course or something yeah. that gives you a better grip on. And keep up to date with it. And keep and I, up to date. That's what Michael Guerin has, doesn't it? I think all of the nurses there have to take the in fact course. If yes. you work on me, yeah. 
that's a part of the baby friendly initi hospital initiative yeah. thing. Do you remember when um, Anna said they were going to do that? <laughs> and I laughed. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing is, um, okay. It's, not, it's so never going to happen. It's not going to happen. Even at a hospital that claims it's baby friendly. I know the person who drove that, I'm old enough that I remember before before when it was not a baby friendly hospital. And I know I was like a co-leche league leader colleague of mine who was a nurse in the postpartum unit at Michael Garrett, who like pushed, pushed and pushed and pushed and gave like blood, sweat and tears to get that hospital to that place. And she's now retired, right? So as long as her name was Janet Zablocki, as long as Janet was around and she was a fierce, little person as long as janet was around everybody kept their shit happening like who had to do this and this and this to keep this whole structure moving forward in terms of breastfeeding they did all of that and now she's not there mm -hmm. so, so yeah how long is that gonna last now and if you're if they're if only a few of the people are dedicated um and they don't have the fire that she did then things are gonna get lax and that's what I think I see happening. Any yeah. policy is only worth the paper it's written on. Yep. All policies need to be implemented by real actual people. Mm -hmm. And if people, if people are just sort of like lukewarm or wishy-washy about it, uh, you because come on, nurse, we see in the public so much on Facebook groups, people saying, well, the people, you know, people are being shamed for not breastfeeding and they just shove it down your throat and they're trying to force you to breastfeed and all of this kind of stuff. And where it's horrible and I formula fed my baby and where I'm fun, they're fine. And so on. Great, great, great. I'm sure there are nurses who feel that way. Mm -hmm. So how much attention are they paying? Like how much um, solid advice are they giving? Or are they just kind of saying, yeah, you know what? It's fine if you want a formula feed, which is fine to say yes. in the right context. Yes. But I mean, that's the difference between doulas and nurses and IBCLCs. They're, they're there to be medical and, and fix things. Big, big clinical problems. Yeah. Whereas a doula is going to walk in and go, okay, first question I'm going to ask, how committed are you to this? Like what, what is your commitment level for feeding at the chest? Oh, did everybody freeze? Is it me that froze? No. Okay. Your yeah. guys are just listening intently. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sometimes I, that happens to me all the time. I'm like, really? Is what am I saying? I'm saying so deep that you're just like. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, but you. As a doula, I'm going to sit down and I'm, and I'm going to talk to this person first, whereas, you know, a nurse is going to walk in or an IBCLC is going to walk in and they're going to say, you know, uh, I'm having difficulty latching and they're just going to like grab the boob, grab the baby, jam the baby on. Okay, you see that? All right. See you later. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Okay. First off, I don't even touch people. <laughs> I don't even touch people. I want you, I might tweak a wrist or move a bum or something like that but I'm not like grabbing breasts and jamming babies on because what does that teach right like what is that let's let's get this okay now does that hurt okay right so let's de-latch and try again we need to get that further in there okay 
Let's get yeah, Okay. And did you see that? Did you see that swallow? Did you see that? Do you see how this feels? How does this feel? Right. But there isn't that sitting down and sitting with that patient because granted they don't have the time. And I 100% get this. I absolutely get this. So how can we fix that? Like, it's, it's kind of like the same thing that, um, that happened with midwifery, where midwifery has a whole different model of care than obstetrics, right? Yep. Um, <clears throat> however, we all know that once midwifery was legislated, midwifery became way more clinical and doctory than it used to be in the past. Mm -hmm. And now um, IBCLC has become a, a big, big, huge thing. They've become more doctory mm -hmm. than they were in the past. Lactation consultants didn't used to be in hospitals. They would come to your house mm -hmm. and sit with you for two hours and talk about your postpartum depression or whatever. And, and, and look at your shoulders and your back and, and maybe suggest going to a chiropractor or a massage therapist to help you because you've been hunched over trying to nurse like this. And now that they're in hospitals, um, and in clinics having like strict appointments and so on, it's just, it's, it's much more difficult pragmatically to give that holistic kind of care. And now here we come as doulas again, stepping up and filling in that. And if doula work ever gets regulated, we're going to go the same way too. I 100% feel that that's what's going to happen, that that's where we're going. And, and I already think that we're, we're basically there. I think even without regulation, I think doulas are getting, stepping into that position of, of losing that, you know, sitting around the fire or the wash tub, you know, of, of supports of new, new birthing parents. And it's, it's, it's on its way. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why for me, I really kind of stepped back from even, you know, being a part of any doula organizations or things like that. I can't, I, I just want to be sitting over here doing my support thing. <laughs> you guys go off and tackle the government and become doctors. I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to sit here and help. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to sit here and knit. <laughs> The hospital program. So we, we've talked about, you know, going in as being hired as postpartum doulas to, um, to assist with breastfeeding in the hospital. How awesome would that be to be hired by the hospital on contract that we get to, you know, negotiate? Um, meaning that like I wouldn't, if I were to do something like that, where you're in conjunction with a hospital, it's like, I cannot sit here and tell you that I'm going to limit the amount of time with a client if there's something going on in that room, I need to be given the, the leeway to sit with that person as long as they need. And if what we're finding is that I'm not able to get around to everybody, then you, it's not that I need to limit my time, it's that you need to hire another you know, breastfeeding educated doula. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's probably the greatest concern around, not so much registration, but having um, being hired by the hospital because then you're hired by the hospital. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing is that if you were hired by the hospital and that situation comes up where there are, I don't know, five or six patients on the floor, all who are in need of 
assistance during your shift, mm-hmm. right? And you can only get to three of them. And so the other two or three kind of get left out in the cold because there just aren't enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And you can say all you want till the cows come home to the hospital administrators. You need to hire another one of me. You need to hire somebody else. If the money is not allocated for that, it's not going to happen. No. So then you, that individual doula, will be forced to limit your time in order to at least give a little bit of time to each person. So this is what I mean about thinking about things logistically. So we can talk about idealistically what we want. So what we would want is that every every patient on the floor gets all the breastfeeding support they need for as long as they need it, mm-hmm. ideally one person, one person hired to help with breastfeeding issues is never going to be able to do that. And if they're not going to, if uh, what's in the budget, oh, well, they'll say we have this much money in the, this is how important we think that this service is. And that's it. No more, not a penny more. Yeah. And then you're going to be forced to parse up your time. Mm -hmm. There's no two ways around it because unless you're going to work for free for 24 hours, get paid for eight, then there's nope. no way around it. Yeah. So it's in some situations, it's just life. That's just the way that it is. And it, it, it is. So maybe if that push ever happens, they, you need to start, I'm talking to you, Kim, if you ever decide to really and truly go and make that push, you need to push for more than one position because that's the only way that it's really going to work more than one position. Yes. Um, and I mean, that, that can be, um, shared by however many people, right? So you might, if, if it's, if, if they're willing to cover 16 hours a day of lactation support, you can have two full-time people, four part-time people or whatever. But if that's the amount of money that they are willing to, uh, come up with the push at first has to be as, as close to your ideal as possible. (sighs) Well, and again, it's a matter of over asking for what you need. Right. Always right. ask for the moon and the stars, even though you only want the, the, the piece of the moon, ask for all of it. Yeah. And, that, and that's really what doulas are good at doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, muted. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, we should probably, we've been talking for half an hour now of... <laughs> Not our topic. So let, let me it's, do the landing. It's actually been 47 minutes. Oh, I stopped. I, I've got 33. Okay. It's 1117. Um, all right. So let me do the land acknowledgement and uh, we'll take it from there. Um, I want to say, actually, as far as land acknowledgements go, I was watching, um, what do you say, Big Brother Canada last night. I'm desperate for decent TV on a Wednesday night, but. Um, my kids like reality shows. So I was watching it and they went through a little bit and then actually they did a land acknowledgement um, on TV of it. And I don't know if they're going to do it. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to do it every week. Um, But I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. All right. And let's be honest. I mean, big brother Canada, it is a, it is a plethora of multinational rainbow of people. It is actually, you know, very diverse. Yeah. Big brother, the U.S. is like, okay, bunch of white people, bunch of white guy. Okay. The odd yeah. gay person. Yay. Yep. All right. Token thrown in here and there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. Such bullshit. All right. So um, I would like to recognize and acknowledge the land upon which I live, raise my children, work and support birthing parents is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the, Nash, the Ashinabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee and the Wendats peoples and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis people. While a land acknowledgement is not enough, it is an important social justice and decolonial practice that promotes indigenous visibility and is a reminder that we are on settled indigenous lands. Let this land acknowledgement be an opening for all of us to contemplate a way to join in the indigenous movements for sovereignty and self-determination. The end. Excelente. All right. You see, um, I changed my bookshelf. I made it all fancy lack. That's very nice. I like it. Um, I would, on that sort of note, if you are looking for somebody cool um, to and uh, informative to follow on Instagram, go and follow somebody named Notorious Cree. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, Yes, you know so that person, a dancer, an influencer, and has a two million followers on TikTok. I guess that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, an indigenous guy, um, Nahia, I think his name is. Uh, sorry if I'm not pronouncing it properly, but that's what it looks like, Nahia. And uh, they're awesome, really, really awesome. Notorious Cree. They have a blue Oh, my, our listeners can't see that. So I'm show, picture in your mind. I am showing you the Instagram account of Notorious Creek. So yeah, that, that guy's pretty fabulous there. Cool. All right. So our topic today is entrepreneurial styles. Entrepreneurial styles. Yeah. Because there's more than one way to do this. We're all doing it. I know you said earlier, Kim, I don't have a style. I just fly by the seat of my pants. That is a style. You know what they, you know, like when they say? You know like when they say um, not planning is a plan? Yeah. Like not making a decision is a decision. Like there are consequences to what you're doing. And so that's what I wanted to talk about. So I was listening to another podcast before a few days ago. And that, that's what they were talking about, their entrepreneurial style in terms of what things they felt were important, what things not important, what things they completely ignored, what things they obsessed about, um, how much they worked, uh, that sort of thing. Like, do they work a dedicated number of hours during the day, during the week? Do they work on Sundays, on, on the weekends? Do they take evening meetings? Like, you know, I know that's one of Steph's boundaries what boundaries do they set what boundaries do you set in your in your birth business that's the kind of stuff i wanted to to get out of you so i know you say you fly by the seat of your pants kim but you're pretty focused on when it's time for you to do shit you hunker well, yeah. down to do it yeah but i mean i have like eight billion ideas in my head that are never going to see the light of day <laughs> don't we all I think that should be be a topic. Yeah, because I'm lazy as fuck. That's your entrepreneurial style. I'm going to write it into my mentorship program. The lazy entrepreneurial style, how you can make it your own. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Embrace your inner sloth. 
I remember, I remember when my, uh, when my ex-husband left and, you know, there was basically a push for me to get a real job um, because I was, I was very smart. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, but I'm also fucking lazy. You're so like, smart, you're wasting your smartness by lying on the couch all day. Exactly. Well, supporting, you, supporting you, birthing families. Do and you teaching. know how much work this is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you have any idea how how hard it is to maintain this shape I currently have? Round is Round a hard is a shape, shape to maintain. <laughs> you guys listen to MFM this week? Today? So, not today. Uh, a couple days ago, I was listening. And the whole mini-sode. Yeah, they were talking about anti-minimalism maximalism and she's like I, I can just totally embrace it like I have lots of shit and every time I look at it it makes me happy that's and, Georgia and yeah. she does she posted I don't know if you follow them individually but the, she posted on her Instagram like little sn snippets of her house like oh look at this bookshelf that I have here and everything she has is super retro and looks like so much fun everything in her house has it looks like it has a story to tell well and that That's really is it. Marie Kondoism just in a different light like because she says do you have feelings for it doesn't bring you pleasure yes then and all Marie Kondo is saying then give it a fucking spot of honor yeah that's what she's saying she's not yeah. saying get rid of it and hold on to the feeling she's saying if you want to keep it and it makes you happy in your heart you know maybe three feet under your bed covered in dust is not the right place for it to be you know that's right because they were implying that um that way of doing things george's way of doing things was anti marie kondo but Marie Kondo is not an advocate for minimalism she's no. a, she's an advocate for not keeping shit in your house that you don't care about like and clothes you, that you don't wear and garbage that you're just hanging on to because I don't know, because it's just something to take up space on top of the fridge or whatever. That's what Marie Kondo is opposed to. But if that 17 year old food processor brings you joy, even though you've never used it, then honey, keep it. Marie Kondo will say, keep it. <laughs> and I heard that term maximalism on a, on a podcast that I listened to a few times. It's pretty good that was recommended by Karen. Karen talked about a podcast by, um, it's called Unfuck Your Brain. Yes. Yeah. Unfuck Your Brain with a woman named Kara Lowenfield or something like that. Anyways, and she had a whole episode about maximalism and that was the first place I heard about it. And as she talked, I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. Finally, there's a word for me. And no, it's not clutter. No, it's not hoarder. I'm a maximalist. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, now I totally, like we're completely off top. I don't even know how to get back to where we were. How is this related it's to what? It's a style, but that's what I mean is it's, it's as important to say that there's a diff many different ways to do something and they're all right if they're right for you. And the same thing goes for this entrepreneurialism, like how you choose to run your business. And the fact is with entrepreneurialism, your personal life is going to cross over with your business life. It's just as part of being an entrepreneur, we literally work our business around our life and our life around our business. 
Well, and that's, that's the main reason why I really love doing the job that I do, because I can still look after my children. So it was great, you know, 15 years ago when I had littles, um, I certainly don't now, um, but it allowed me to, you know, be there for them while they were growing up, be here in the house for them to come home for lunch and things like that, be able to go on, you know, trips, school class trips and whatnot with them. Like that was very important to me to, to be there with my kids and to, and to be the one that was going to raise them and give them love and show them that support that they needed. And being a doula and a childbirth educator allowed me to do that because my meetings were at night. My teaching was on the weekend outside of the time, you know, when they were in bed and, you know, being looked after by their father. So I was able to still make money, bring money into the house, feel like I was doing an important job that I was a, you know, member of society and not just a big giant slug sitting on the couch, though it looked like that a lot of the time. Um, it's, it's how I was able to manage that time to be there with my kids because that was super important to me. And now I look at it as they grew, I was able to sort of, um, <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice, um, like dig a little deeper into my depression. So having, being somebody who lives with depression on a regular basis, again, being a doula and doing how I work, I have open space time for me to not freak out and not stress and be able to sort of let go and and just be like sitting over there in, on that chair, you know, playing Stardew Valley, just so my brain can absorb everything that's going on in my life. Because I need those little moments in time. I used to take it up with naps and I would do the naps with the kids, but now I do it differently. Um, and it allows me to not fall off the deep end. So being a doula is great and being a childbirth educator is great because you are in charge of your schedule. Like I'm not beholden to anybody anymore. I get the only, the only time that my time is um, sort of snatched away from me is when a baby is due and I accept that. So when they're due, then I, then I get to drop everything and go and be with that family and support that family. But before, uh, in between those times, yeah, I can be here and vacuum my rug at three in the afternoon. I can, you know, put my put my dinner on whenever I bloody well please. It's, I mean, it helps that I don't have a husband either. But um, I'm I'm in charge of my life, and that in itself is empowering to me. Yes, that's my. Oh, that's how oh. I see it. Outside of um, providing direct client service, so outside of being at a birth or supporting a birth or doing prenatal meetings and, and interviews and so on, outside of direct client service, how many hours a day or a week would you say do you put into building your business? Like, I'm not a business marketing kind of person. I mean, I've, ha I've made a conscious decision to become more so and learn more about that in the last few years than I did. I would say I spent like 10, 12, 
years of my doula hood kind of just sitting around waiting for shit to come to me. And it's only been the last few, few years that I've said, oh, I need to shit or get off the pot here. Yeah, I need to yeah, grow and evolve and, you know, understand that people's communication is different now. Yeah. Well, and plus all the young and doulas are <laughs> out there kicking our asses when it that's, comes. That's exactly right. I said, oh, I can't just like rest on my laurels and just count on the occasional birth that I get from my classes every once in a while. I realized that that wasn't going to do it for me, that I needed to do something else, do something more, do something better. So outside of direct client services, how much time do you spend on all the others? Businessy stuff. I would I say- I'm going to go get more water. Okay. I would say- I mean, at minimum, maybe three to four hours a day. Some days are longer than others, especially if my brain starts, you know, firing on all cylinders. Um, I'll like go into a groove and, you know, doing website changes and writing and, and you know, all that stuff. Um, and prepping my classes and changing my classes and, and all of this. But I would say probably on average, we're probably talking, and mostly in the morning, just three to four hours a day. Yeah, that sounds about right. And, and it's constantly different. It's constantly yeah. different. like one day it could be just replying to clients, making sure questions or things that could or resources for my clients are dealt with. Other times, sometimes I reach out to just on a whim, I'll decide I'm going to reach out to some old clients today and see how everyone's doing. Um, you know, plant a little seed of, uh, you know, checking in. How are you feeling? What's up? Ooh, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. There's an um, interesting one. Reach so, out to clients. <laughs> yeah. So much of what we do and what I love is when a client comes through referral. Mm -hmm. So if often I'll get a message from somebody, not, well, not often, often, but I do often enough get a message from a client. Text, hey, Steph, are you still attending births? Are you still offering breastfeeding support? Um, are you still educating on VBAC? Yeah okay, I didn't know because we haven't talked in three years, but, um, you know, but I, I'll reach out to a client and just say, hey, I'd love to see uh, updated pictures of that family. How are you feeling, you know, three years into parenthood and stuff like that. Just to, again, keep that, keep me at the forefront of their mind because everyone knows someone who is either so, somewhere so in their How journey. far back are you reaching? Oh, I, I still talk to people from like 10, 15 years ago. Oh, I still, I have a few people from a long time ago too, but that's because they're, I'm friends with them on social media, mm -hmm. which yes, is not the same thing. I'm talking about people who you don't have contact regularly through social media. How far back do you reach to those folks? Usually about five years. Yeah. Just throw it out. Just throw it out there. Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, no one signed up to par parents through a pandemic. How are you holding up? <laughs> you know? Um, just again, letting staying pertinent, staying and staying genuine. Like it's genuine. Like I want to hear how people are doing. You know, I hear it's. Uh, I do believe that when you when you create your business from a place of service, like where you understand what you have to offer, and um, that it's well received. And I'll take that back to our beloved, wonderful friend Tanisha, who is an absolute. And when I say social media whiz, I don't mean it in, in a 
contrived way at all. Everything that she shares feels like a genuine reach out, like a genuine, you know, offer of service, offer of energy, offer of things. And I'm just like, is there anything your beautiful heart cannot do? Because every day when I say something about her, I feel like it's a check-in. She's asking me to check in with myself. She's, you know, and she shares something and it's like, I would hire you 10 times over. Can I just give you a deposit now, even though I'm not having any more children? Because I would love your energy in my space. Yes, that's exactly right. And you know, she's listening. She's listening to this right now. (laughs) As this is airing on Monday, March the... Eight, we're gonna. She's gonna be listening to this, Tanisha. Follow her at the Doula Experience, Tanisha Reedin. She's she is awesome. And you know, Tanisha will say because she just said it like a few days ago. I just heard her with my own ears say that she's 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 doesn't think that she's that great on social media. That you know that she needs a lot of help and doesn't feel. But but the end result is always so awesome. I just want her voice in my ears all the time. Yes. yes. It's when a- we do OBDS meetings and she leads us through these little meditation things. I'm like, oh, Tanisha. <laughs> when I first met her, that <laughs> is the exact impression I got. That you just wanted to be in her orbit. That, And I knew the moment she started speaking and that smile that she had, I knew oh at that moment that she was going to be yeah one of the most incredible doulas yeah yeah you know and you, she is yeah and just one of the most incredible people i'm so yeah. grateful to um to know her she she teaches me all the time and she i learned from her so much because she's awesome Tanisha, we love you um and yeah she's a super fan and so we're not just saying this because she's a super fan it's true no, I, she's, it's all true I, I wish Those I was the kind of people we her. attract. Okay. <laughs> That's I want, all. I want to be Tanisha. <laughs> I want to be Tanisha. <laughs> she has like this cutie, cutie pie fiance. I mean, like, Oh God, she has the whole on. world at her In feet her, at this That's point. right. That's right. Yes. She's like a little mini goddess. Wait, wait till she's 50 and jaded like the rest of us. <laughs> we'll see. We'll check back in 20 years. We'll check Tanisha, in for that. One thing that Tanisha taught me this week that I really got to tell you guys, because it all applies to all of us, I think we were talking about how now that I haven't had a period for like a year and a half or whatever, that officially that makes me a crone. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. What the fuck? no, I refuse that. I refuse that. I'm taking that crown off. I'm not ready for it. Thank you very much. I've been a crone for five years. no. No. And Tanisha said, do you know, in that beautiful way she has, she told us about, you know, the, the maiden mother crone, the triumvirate of, of womanhood, right? And she said, there's actually a fourth archetype. There's a fourth that we don't talk about so much. And that, that stage of life sits between mother and crone. So you have maiden, mother, crone, and then there's one in the middle. That's where we are. So cronehood is when you kind of withdraw from all the hustle and bustle of life and focus on dispensing all the wisdom and, and so on. We're not there yet. We're still in the hustle, hustle and bustle of life, finishing up raising our kids, 
because back when these archetypes were created, it was all about reproduction and people would have been finished by the time you're 50, your kids are grown and you have, you're a grandmother. But as people got married and had children later, cronehood is pushed off and we're living longer. Mm -hmm. So you don't, I don't need to be a crone at this age and be a crone for like 40 years or whatever. So there is a middle archetype. And I think I've looked it up since she told me, cause I was so intrigued and yeah, it is, it, um, I, did she say queen, the queen, it could be the cougar. And there is, I read an article that talked about what that means. Like we've reduced it to some like prowling sexual <laughs> older woman who's like preying on young guys at the bar, but it's nope. not, it's not about that. Um, and that there's the queen, and then there's the, the cougar, but not in that sexual way. And then there's a few other, like if you look it up, you can find that there are uh, different names for this stage of life. And there are definite roles and there's a different, there's a place for that because maybe we are caring for our older parents or relatives, but yet we're, our children are not old enough yet for them to be gone. Mm -hmm. sandwich generation is that we're the, we're the ham in the sandwich generation yes because yeah. i say you can't be a crone until you're at least 65 no if you're still like working and making money and even then this day and age it's new so we have to re reinvent all of it is what i'm is what i've been reading mm -hmm. that that whole triumvirate that that triple goddess thing maiden mother crone that's completely tied to our reproduction and our re reproductive capacities is all now redundant almost because True. our lives are not working like that. What about now there's so many women who are not having babies? Yeah. So where do they fit? Or uh, they're having right up until they're 50. Yeah. How do, what, what's, what, so it's all weird now. And uh, so I read a couple of articles after Tanisha brought it up that's, that pointed out that we are no longer tied when, now that we have control of our reproduction, um, we could choose when we want, when we have children, how many children we have, or we can not have any children if we don't want to. Now that we are in charge of that, that those three archetypes no longer make any sense. When I, when I was a trainer, I, uh, I, I made a joke that, you know, well, I guess, you know, now I'm the old crone, you know, dispensing, you know, wisdom and whatnot. And somebody in the class who was not that much younger than me um, was like, no, you're not. But they made it like, they made it sound like you're not a crone because you're not, um, you're not wise enough not for wise that. Enough. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, I'm your fucking teacher. Fuck off. <laughs> if you don't feel that why are you sitting in this goddamn room get the fuck out yeah that automatically makes me the crone uh 100 yeah um she mentioned something was it a uh was it a podcast called another one with the word fuck la fuck i don't know and and the twat squad <laughs> that's where she heard about Jesus. Steph. So Is look. it really Steph? Steph, you have a second podcast, don't you? <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> I actually have a group of friends and we call ourselves the dusty old twats. Yep. 
why, why have you taken over my, my, that's my, that's my, that's the title of my book right now. <laughs> it's the chapter of life that I'm in right now. So that's now between, you know, your before crone comes dusty old twat. We're still working, <laughs> still hustling. We're not completely gray, just a no. little bit, just kind of gray, <laughs> just okay. a little bit around the edges. Yeah. My distinguished gentleman right around the ear. No, those are my distinguished gentleman chin hairs. Yeah. I just pulled one. It's fucking oh, if back. You could, if you on. could feel this right now, if you could feel this five o'clock shadow I got going on here right now. Takes me, it takes me a few days to get a good five o'clock shadow, but I get it. I was with my, last time my daughter was over, she's 28. Um, she was laying, she had her head on my lap and I was playing with her hair. And then I was drawing on her face while we were watching Shrek. Um, which is her favorite movie. And as I ran my hand down under her chin, I felt spike, 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 spike. I'm like, what is that? And she's like, girlfriend, hold up. Hold leave Bessie up. alone. This is Bessie and Barbara. <laughs> they have like names. And I'm like, would you like me to pull those out? She's like, don't take my joy away from me. I do that myself. <laughs> yeah, at age 28, she has like a, a little spattering of uh, whiskers. You better hope to God she doesn't listen to this. Because if because <laughs> if I said that about my kids, they would disown me. Yes. Are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure Kira has, has recorded herself <clears throat> while naming them. <laughs> so yeah, so there's that little bit of that. We're still entrepreneurs. We're still figuring out how to build a business. So I don't think that I can be the crone yet. I'm not ready. I'm not willing, I'm not able to be a crone just yet. And as we were having that conversation on my, uh, you guys have probably seen it when I'm, when I, when we do these uh, Zoom meetings on in my bedroom, I have that Ikea picture with the mother and the baby that mm -hmm. sold for years and years. So I have that over my bed. And that is, for those of you in the know, little art history for you. That picture is a, a part of a much larger piece by Gustav Klimt. That, and that is like the three faces of womanhood. Yep. And uh, so that piece was about the mother, it was about the mother. And on the bottom corner of that painting that I have, you see some old scary witch fingers. And years ago, my kids used to be like, oh my God, look at that. And that was like, was a mystery. What is that? I could never figure out why are there scary witch fingers in the corner of this paint, this otherwise very peaceful painting. And it was only after I looked into it that I realized that that was just a piece of a larger painting by Gustav Klimt. And beside the, standing beside the mother and the baby is the crone. And she is made to look very scary and very witchy. She's all gray and gnarled. And, <laughs> and that's what it does to you. <laughs> yeah, because that's what happens to you after you finish becoming a mother. After you nurse all five for, for 15 years, you, you become like that. So yeah, I was like, I'm not ready to be that weasened, dried up old crone. No. So you don't have to be. If you are in that stage of life right now, just keep, keep that in mind. Um, while you're trying to figure out your entrepreneurial style okay get back on track yes so entrepreneurial style when I think of this I think of not necessarily how I show up for my clients but how I need to run my business or like 
keep things in order enough for me to feel completely overwhelmed. And I've done the same thing forever. I showed you guys how I have my, because so many bills and stuff are online now, yeah. I sort them into, um, I sort them into files on my computer and back it up on a hard drive just in case. Cause I had that problem before and I lost my hard drive. I lost everything. I had to go asking companies for all of my bills and stuff again. But I actually have this, I'll show you. People can't, unless you're watching, you can't see it, but this is like a big wicker basket. You don't see this? Yeah. That's where I put all my receipts. I just throw them in there. And there it's like underneath what you just saw. So let me show you. We start the year with the basket. There's a bunch of shit in this basket, right? I just start throwing it in. What goes on top of that is this thing. One of those uh, organ folders. folders, yeah. Goes on top so that I don't have to look at all of those receipts and they're less likely to fly out or have a dog come in and sniff them and blow them all over the place or whatever. Um, and then on top of that for when I'm, you know, when I actually have time to sit down and do it at the end of the year is my tax sheets. So if I like physical paper, I like to write things out. So this is like all the different things that I pay for in the house and or my car and shit like that. And then all the months and then I like write it all out what I've done each month. So I have an understanding, everything down at the bottom, mortgage interest, everything, rent, all those things. So afterwards I have like a physical, I can see it as I'm breaking it down to do my taxes. Um, but it all literally I throw everything in a basket. I don't organize it. I used to every once in a while, like load them into that file folder. And maybe I've started doing it now with COVID because I'm here all the time. But um, usually at the end of the year, I will sort them and then I will tally everything. And, and sometimes I'll just pay my kids to do it, but <laughs> or offer to make them a favorite meal or something if they sort all my receipts for me. But I literally stick everything in a basket, have the accordion file on top of it so I don't have to look at it. And then, yeah, the physical pages for actually writing out what I spend or what I had to pay for bills and shit like that. Cause I, I don't have, I used to many moons ago and I had to evolve, put them at like every Friday I'd put my receipts away and stuff, but now it just all goes in here and I don't give myself any stress about not looking at them, even if it's been months. So your entrepreneurial style is a little bit of organized chaos. Organized chaos is probably the very best way to put it. Also, so receipts that I get while I'm in my car, all go into my um, glove box until they can't fit. <laughs> that shit. And then they go in the basket. Then they go in the basket. Then I'll literally, when I'm going out one day, I'll grab the basket and bring it with me so I can stick it underneath the, the glove box and open it and just kind of shovel everything into the basket. And put I, have a, I have a flower pot yeah. in my bedroom. And I shove all receipts in there. And then at the end of the month, I shove them in an envelope and I just scribble July 2021, stick it in between some books on a shelf. Yeah. <laughs> also organized chaos. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's, um, oh, there you go. Yeah. So these are all my bills. Oh, guys, shit. I got to go in 10 minutes because I've got something else to do. And now that those people are at the door. So ah, give me okay. a second. I got I to gotta get the door. Let me okay. mute. Okay. All right. So can you mute? Oh, there. <laughs> there she goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that's 
I, it's funny. I never sort of think about, you know, how you sort of manage your paperwork and shit like that as being part of your entrepreneurial style, but I guess it is. Yeah. And yeah, organized chaos or the just same, chaos. I think the same goes for my clients. I, I do have a filing system. Hold on one sec. There's that in a basket for my tax stuff and everything. But this is, I don't know if you can see that, but I don't have enough clients to actually put in effort of putting yeah. labels. <laughs> it's monthly. Yes. And then stuff for new clients there. So if I'm heading out to do something and I have something for people, if they're going to sign a physical contract, then they have that there. Right. Um, but yeah, everything just goes into a, a month. So whatever month they're due in. So if when I have a month coming up and then I have a history file. So when I'm done with the person, it goes at the end in the file that's history. So it means they've, I've done them, they're complete. Right. Then at the end of the year, I just re review it and put it away. I'll like, like uh, archive that shit. Right. So Airtable has taken that place for me. So I've right. really started using Airtable. So when I'm finished with somebody completely, um, when their status, so I have a, a field that's that their status is pending, meaning like I've had an interview, but they haven't signed a contract yet. Pending, in care, um, delivered. So that place between, you know, they had the baby, but we're still working together. Um, and in care, meaning whether it's a birth client or postpartum client. And once it's done, then there's another option for done. Once they're done, it gets automatically archived to completed or whatever it's called. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I use Airtable. I, um, don't sign, don't do, um, paper contracts anymore. I send them, people use DocuSign or Word to sign them. They send them back to me and I drag and drop them into Airtable. So everything's there, contact information, any notes that I took during prenatals, it's all there. So, yeah, I still print. I'm, I'm a paper person. I can't, I did. I, I, me too. I forced myself to just simply say, I'm not using paper anymore because of, you know, trees and stuff. So I just simply, I made a decision to stop, even though I created all these amazing forms that I, that are unique for me and my business, but then I decided to just not use them anymore. And then when I discovered Airtable, oh, then I found a way to keep all that information without paper. Cause before that I didn't have any way to do it. This gets it over here. Okay. It's okay. It's not going on YouTube. Anyways, I better go because <laughs> I have, um, I have visitors and um, almost time for us to wrap up anywho. Right? Yes, I am. All right. It's time for these people to rate, review, and subscribe, isn't it? Tell them to do it again. Okay. They never do, do it so. Say it louder <laughs> for those ones. Why do we bother? <laughs> okay. So you guys are going to go now too? Yeah. All right. Have a okay. great one, everybody. We hope this controlled chaos is because I don't even know. That's what, what that's what this about. episode was. Controlled really chaos. Helped. That's yeah. that's the name of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that our discussion about lack of breastfeeding, good breastfeeding support in the hospital is very relevant. I so think so too. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.